got a tattoo. <laughs> so did you, dude? No. Oh. oh. Dude, what does my tattoo say? Sweet! What about mine? Dude, what does mine say? Sweet! What about mine? Dude, what does mine say? Sweet! What about mine? Dude, what does mine say? Sweet! What about mine? Dude, what does mine say? Sweet! What about mine? Dude, what does mine say? Sweet! What about mine? Dude! What does mine say? Sweet! Idiot! Hello, listening people. Hello. Hello, Bartek. How are you? Shibby, how are you? I'm doing... Ryan Slinsky. Sorry, I forgot your name. <laughs> Thank you. Shibby's my name. Uh, I'm doing very well. I'm feeling spitting, and I'm feeling Polish, and I'm feeling locked down still, Bartek. We're still in lockdown here in Melbourne. Um, there were some lovely freedom protests. Um, about it. It was a very empowering day uh, <laughs> the other day in which I looked at it and said, we're going to be in lockdown even longer. Great. Um, so I'm feeling, you know, I'm feeling okay. I do miss chatting to you in person about movies, but hey, at least we still get to sit here and talk about a movie that's come recommended. And uh, Bartek, what was the film that was recommended in this one and who recommended it? Um, the film that was recommended in this episode was Dude, Where's My Car? Mm. From the year 2000. That's the turn of the millennium. Mm. Uh, Pre-9-11, yeah. Yes, very, very shortly pre. Um, and I think it was me, I, who recommended the film. Yes. For our show, Pictures Pow Wow, a show where... We have a three-week cycle in which I recommend a film, then you recommend a film, and then we have the listening people recommend a film. Oh, boy. And you recommended Dude, Where's My Car, which means we'll be talking about it, which means spoilers, people. If you have not seen Dude, Where's My Car and you want to know where the car is, well, you should watch the movie for yourself. I mean, you don't want to hear us just say where it was parked all along, so make sure to give it a watch and all of that in case you're wanting to actually see it for yourself, because we're going to talk about it in depth. Uh, I'll hit off with my history with this, because I think it's a little less uh, nuanced than yours. I had seen this movie, I don't know, a, a small handful of times in my life. It was on TV occasionally. I never owned this, and my general opinion of the movie has always been it was fine. Never loved it, never hated it, remembered a handful of scenes from it, but it just never lingered with me, like some of its uh, contemporaries or some of the ones that uh, inspired it. This was no Bill and Ted for me, and or this was no Bubble Boy for me. It was always just, oh yeah, the one where Ashton Kutcher played a stoner character that wasn't Kelso. That's how I always always remember this movie. Oh, yeah, yeah, the Ashton Kutcher movie. Like, the movie where he's not doing a rom-com. And that's how I've always looked at it. And I haven't thought about it in many years until we did this podcast in which it would be one of the five reference points brought up from you. Mm -hmm. And... Then you recommended it for this, and I have not seen it in, I I still, I can't tell you how many years it's been. It was just always on kind of randomly on TV. I wouldn't say it was always on, like, something like Big Fat Liar was always on. But I haven't seen it in a while, so I revisited for this podcast. I watched it this morning of our recording. I had breakfast. I I was excited. It was on Disney+, Plus, so I didn't have to look for it very extensively. This film was on Disney+. Plus. Yeah, because it was a Fox movie, I imagine. Um, oh yeah, twenty first. Yeah, twenty mm-hmm. century. I think. And I clapped my hands, rubbed them, and said, "Let's give this a go." Because I was really on board with giving this a go. Uh, tell us what your relationship and history with this film is, Bartek. Um, I think the similarities will end in the fact that I haven't seen this film in about fifteen years since last viewing. Um, but where it differs is that probably those fifteen years ago. I watched this film more times than I can ever uh, fathom a guess at. Uh, Back when my stepbrother lived here, this film and I think Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey would be films that we would just put on, you know, on a whim and just have Mm. playing in the background or just watch them together. 
So this was a film where I specifically remember I once recounted like the plot beat by beat to someone. Um, and I've just always remembered that this was something that I, a, a film where I was able to do that. Um, yeah. and even 15 years later, watching it again, similar to some things I said in our small soldier review, there were just moments where I would suddenly like remember a line or a delivery that was coming up. And it's like th- uh, this film has kind of existed in my subconscious. I haven't, I didn't remember it perfectly. There are a lot of things that I didn't remember. Mm. Um, but it very much felt like I was unlocking something that had been missing for a long time. It was ingrained in your brain. Yeah. And so this was a DVD type of deal, like your stepbrother had on DVD and you guys just watched it all the time? Yeah, I, I, I have the DVD still in my room. I watched it last night. Oh man. So you didn't see this in the cinema? No. Uh, in terms of my actual history with it... I think my first experience was it uh in both 2001 and 2002 I visited Poland and on one of those uh visits I can't remember which one I remember I was hanging out with my cousin Zuzia and we you know we turned on the TV flicking through channels and I think we saw a scene from this film with the lector on of course explain probably- the lector for the newbies yes um so <laughs> All right, slight tangent. In Poland, uh, they have dubbing for things. You know, they dub into Polish, but they also have an alternative that they much prefer, wherein a uh, a voiceover will basically translate the lines as they happen, uh, you, you know, but, but in a very monotone voice. So you will hear the original language audio play, but very softly, and then a very much louder, usually a man will- Usually uh, then, a specific man, too. Usually a very specific man, he's made a career for himself, will over the top of that line, or a little bit after, uh, very loudly say the line in a monotone. <laughs> for no matter what gender, no matter what kind of character, he will do every voice, every diner dialogue, everything. Mm-hmm. They don't have multiple people on, there's only one lector. Isn't that right? There's not mul- There's never multiple on a project. It's usually just one. Oh, yeah. All the examples I can think of that I've experienced has always just been the one. And, and to stress, it is so popular that when Netflix released Stranger Things, Poland rejected Stranger Things because it didn't have a lector option. It only had a Polish dub option, which is yeah. <laughs> a foreign concept to them, or at least one they don't like. So... Netflix had to come back and do a lector. So if you go on Netflix right now and choose the Polish option for uh for Stranger Things and a few other things, you'll have a monotoned man, a specific man for most of the times, narrate over four-year-old children. I'm exaggerating. They're like nine. Be like, the nine-year-olds be like, golly gee! And he'll just be like, golly gee. You know, in Polish, obviously. Yes, yes. Just to emphasize, the first time I ever experienced a lector was in a VHS of a cartoon that was at my great aunt's house. So I experienced it in a position where, you know, little girls were being voiced by this lector guy, and I had no context at that point. So when I saw it again in, like, Dude, Where's My Car?, um, you know, it, it didn't hit as hard, but it was like, oh, it's this thing again. Um but yeah, like I was saying, so we we flicked on channel, Dude Where's My Car was playing. I didn't know what it was at the time. And I don't remember too much of what we saw, but I'm pretty sure the main thing I remember from that viewing was the um the Fabio scene. <laughs> yes. I'm curious to uh know, did you when you saw Dude Where's My Car and you've seen it so many times in such a short vacuum as well, um were you familiar with the lead actors from anything else, or were you familiar with them from this first and then stuff afterwards? You know, other than the fact that I got into that 70s show a few years after this, um, no, no one from this has ever been anything else other than the character from this. Like, Ashton Kutcher is Kelso now to me, but for the long time he was Jesse, and Sean William Scott is still Chester to me. <laughs> Really, Sean William Scott to me is he's Stifler for a start from American Pie, but um, 
he, to me, he's he's a very versatile. Not you know, he's a very prolific actor. To me, he's always been around. So when I saw him in this, I was very like, oh yeah. To me, this was like a step down in terms of like, oh yeah, yeah. Sean William Scott was in this, I guess too. Like that was mm-hmm. my reaction. But I knew Ashton Kutcher and Sean William Scott from previous work before this. When I had seen this movie for the first time, I grew up with that '70s show. I saw the American Pie movie early on for some reason. It was just a cultural phenomenon. And I had also seen the movie Evolution, which has Sean William Scott in one of the leading roles. I'd also seen, as mentioned in a previous episode, the uh, Peter Berg film, uh, The Rundown, or um, Welcome to the Jungle, it's also called, with Dwayne The Rock Johnson. So, and Ashton Kutcher also had punked. That was a very, very big cultural phenomenon at the time as well. Mm-hmm. I think I had known about Punked before I'd seen this movie. Because I want to say I saw this movie on TV when I was probably like 11, maybe, you know, around that age. Um, yeah. I didn't see same. it in 2000. So yeah, me neither. <laughs> I, uh, so, yeah, so you saw this in such a short vacuum of time. How come it only existed in that window? Was it just because of your stepbrother? You didn't have that thing of wanting to watch it again with your own family, with like your own actual brother or your mum or anything like that? Was that only, was it only in that short window because your stepbrother was living with you at the time? Um, I, I think, yeah, I just watched it so many times that, you know, and, and shortly after he moved out, I think I lent him the DVD for a while and um, and after he returned that DVD, I think I watched the movie like one more time, like halfway through. And I was like, oh, yeah, you know, I've seen this so many times now. I'm watching it alone. You know, I'll, I'll put it down for now. Um, and yeah, I don't know that I've watched it in full since he left now that I think of it. But yeah. What's the age difference between you two, just for context? Uh, three years. He was born 1990. Mm. Okay, fair enough. Just wanted to get that under uh, in my brain. But we're like, okay, cool, cool. Um, so revisiting it, this was your pick. Mm-hmm. What did you think? Were you able to get past your bias of nostalgia, or was it still clouding you all the way through? <laughs> I remember, as I was about to click play, I started having like a you know wedding night cold shoulders of like, ooh. Did I maybe pick something, you know, Did that'll you be say a bit cold difficult. shoulders? It's cold feet. Cold <laughs> shoulder is ignoring someone. Yeah, yeah. The wedding night cold shoulder is a very good phrase. <laughs> I had the you know, I had the wedding night cold shoulder and I'm like, whoa, 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 can we reverse that a second and go back to that statement? Is this a Polish phrase? <laughs> it's cold feet, but go on. Cold feet, yep. Um, where I started to question myself of like, oh, do I, do I pick something that's gonna be difficult to talk about or not? You know, not much going to talk about there, or my English is failing me again. Cold, um, cold shoulder, yeah. <laughs> yes, my my English is cold shouldering me. While Bartek talks, there'll be a lector put over for those who need to understand him. <laughs> um, I started to have doubts, but when I was watching the film, uh, those doubts were quelled. I I realized, okay, there there is something to talk about here. And well, what, what what were your what were your opinions on it? Was it positive, negative? What, what what's your what's your take on seeing it now? It, it was positive. It was positive. Yeah, you had a rip roaring time. Laughed from beginning, middle, and end. I mean, I don't think I will ever have with this film the the first time viewing of like the the and then scene. I remember when I was younger, that was. I'm not saying that I didn't ever, you know, cry from laughter before this film, but it's definitely one of the earliest examples I can think of, that that drive-through scene. Fair enough. Uh, That was an iconic scene growing up. That is definitely, that and the back tattoo scene is the memorable gags from this movie. Yeah, the the two character back and forth scenes. Yeah, and I would say... I don't know why, but the other scene, not nearly as popular, but that stuck with my brain was the dog's pipe at the beginning. Mm. His his little pipe and how how protective he is of the pipe. I remember that um, because also it was very obviously a puppet. It changed to a puppet. I always remember that being funny. <laughs> yeah, I think I noticed that this time too. Uh, so, okay. I 
hated this. I had a miserable experience. I was shocked to find out it was less than 90 minutes because I felt like it had been three fucking hours <laughs> long. I I could not stand how cheap looking this movie was. It was so fucking cheap. It looked like I could make it. That's how fucking cheap it was. I It annoyed me on every detail almost. There was not a performance I thought was that standout in terms of like, well, this saves it for me. There were some gags I did enjoy that reminded me of Kung Pao and Bubble Boy in specifics. Mm-hmm. Visual gags mainly, like s- such gags as Chinese food... The <laughs> just the fact there's so many O's in it that made me laugh. I'm not saying I didn't have laughs, but for the most part, I I I hated this. I had a miserable experience. I I was annoyed, and I walked in being like, "Yeah, let's give this a go." I can't wait. I like Ashton Kutcher, and I like Sean William Scott, and hell, I've even liked Jennifer Garner at points. So I was like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah," and there were actors popping up in it left and right that I like. Like I like Andy Dick. I like Brett Spiner. Obviously, I love him as Data. I mean, he loved this movie so much they didn't even want to be credited. Um, you know, there were lots of people in it I enjoy, and they weren't enough. And I, I, I couldn't help but do the thing of. This is trying to be so many other movies and failing. Mm-hmm. This is trying to be Bill and Ted, but failing. This is trying to be like Cheech and Chong, but failing. This is trying to be like Bubble Boy, but failing. You know, like I kept having that. Like I couldn't help but think of what this film was riffing on or the type of movie it is and how other movies have done this so much better and my biggest disappointment from the movie overall came from um the two lead performances i was shocked to find myself um so bored by them and disappointed especially by sean william scott who i think you know, if you told me, okay, here's a movie with Sean William Scott and Ashton Kutcher, I would walk in thinking that Sean William Scott would be the better performer. Well, fuck me, because Ashton Kutcher was the better one out of the two in this, to mm-hmm. me. And that was a very big disappointment, because Sean William Scott has been one of those actors for me. He's always been there, and he's always been reliable, and he's always been charismatic and charming and, and captivating on the screen. Even if he's playing sleazeballs or stoners or weirdos, he's always been very good in everything I've seen him in. Here, I, I, I found him terrible, and uh, he was doing the bare minimum. And uh, uh, this is accentuated, too, by I watched the credits, and they had outtakes, and the outtakes they showed for Sean William Scott nine times out of ten were him getting pissed off, and they weren't, like, fun outtakes, but they kept them in anyway. Hmm. Like, him forgetting his lines, those weren't fun outtakes from him, those were him getting frustrated. <laughs> and I was like, for this movie, though, for this. So, that's me ejaculating wildly in your face my disdain for this film. I walked in with good intentions, and I walked out of it thinking to myself, fuck me, this was terrible. Um, (laughs) (laughs) How do you feel about hearing me have this opinion? Are you shocked? A little surprised at how strong it was, but no, I can see that. There there were definite things where I was watching the film, and um, I, I guess with me trying to think about it, I was stuck between like, oh, think about this film in a pictures powwow way and in an unappreciated masterpieces way Mm -hmm. where, you know, with unappreciated masterpieces, we would be a bit more comedic, a bit more quick to jump to uh, complimenting things that seemed negative. And my overall thoughts were, you know, kind of trying to bridge the two where I was acknowledging that a lot of this film did feel quite cheap it did feel uh, meandering. <laughs> it, it it did feel like there was a, a, a lot of things not kind of sticking together. There's a lot of things to criticize, like with continuity, with logic, things like that. But then I started to just think, like, well, but the feel the film feels very self aware about itself. It it feels very comfortable in this sort of. 
uh, world that it's established where this is something that I'd forgotten. I'd remembered, obviously, that the main characters are these two, you know, really silly guys Mm. who didn't have everything together, who were up against something much larger than themselves. But clearly what I'd forgotten was that the world that they live in is also quite crazy, like other people are too. Um, and that was one of the biggest joys for me in this viewing of it, was See, just seeing all that, of that. dragged it down for me in a lot of ways because... You see, what I love about movies like Bill and Ted is everyone else in Bill and Ted are normal except for the people from the future who are inspired by Bill and Ted and fucking Death in the second one who himself gets infected by their wildness. He becomes a goofy character because of them. Like, in this, I was like, okay, we're going for, like, a a Kung Pao bubble boy thing but then i had to keep reminding myself like in bubble boy he was normal everyone else was weird and it was like in this is like everyone's kooky and weird and there was no one i could gravitate myself towards but that okay i'm being nitpicking and biased <laughs> no i'm i get what you're saying like this is madcap and absurd and crazy and i like that um and i just i don't know i think it was just the energy of the movie and just the meanderingness of it was a little bit too annoying for me to get into its madcap energy because I just felt like it fucking dragged. There were so many scenes that just would not fucking end. And I was like, oh, they don't, ha- they can't end this scene because they only have a certain amount of location. So they've got to make sure that these scenes go on long enough. And boy, do they go on long enough. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Bubble Boy was definitely one of the films that I was comparing this to in my head because... Both these films fall under a type of adventure comedy that I like, where it's the main character or main characters, you know, scene by scene meeting the next, you know, funny or kooky character and, Mm. like, the story progressing with that. So it's very much like every step of the way, you know, someone comes along and, you know, it's something different. Right. Well, let's talk positives. I I don't want to be all negatives here. What was a scene that surprised you the most on this rewatch? One that you're like, wow, this is really hitting me in an interesting way Grow as a grown man now. Um, One that hitting me interesting in a grown way man Yeah, like, now. you know, it's been, like you said, 15 years probably since you've seen this. So there's going to be things that are just going to hit you differently now. Hmm. Jeez, uh, I have to think. Um, well, one thing... Uh, there was a That 70s Show reference that I wasn't expecting. The I'll put my foot in your ass line, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. is something that's often said to Kelso in That 70s Show. Um, mainly mainly Eric, though. Yeah, mainly Eric. But, you know, with Kelso being such a, you know, responsible man, you know, it's not like he never gets it. <laughs> no, true, true. Him and Red have a great work relationship, though. First episode I ever saw was literally them working together. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, Positive-wise, things that hit me differently as an adult. Um, I liked how the film threaded the needle in lots of ways. Like, the opening credits sequence were showing us all of these weird images and characters that would later appear in the movie. I thought that was neat. It made it feel like this movie had a plan, even though it clearly... And like it made it feel like the movie was structured, and they had thought things out, and they were giving us a little prologue in a in a way, in the opening credits by showing us all these different characters that would later appear. Yeah, I liked, that was great. I like that. That was really fun. Uh, 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 you know, seeing it now in the modern age of the world, uh, I had a good chuckle at certain actors that turned up, and I was like, why? Like, like, like I said, Brent Spiner, you know, he was, you know, Mr. Data from Star Trek himself as the French guy who loves ostriches. I was confused why he was here. It gave me a good chuckle. But then I remembered he did the Master of Disguise around the same period. And I was like, no, no, it all makes sense now. Right. It all makes fucking sense, doesn't <laughs> it, Brent? Um, so there was like things like that. I, I got a chuckle out of the fact that Jennifer Garner is used in this movie in a thankless role to the point in which it's like, why did you even get Jennifer Garner to do it? And it made me think, is this in a period where Jennifer Garner was a nobody? But it kind of wasn't. She was still like doing, I don't know. It was very odd. So I got a chuckle out of the fact that Jennifer Garner was like wasted in this movie. 
that she gave was me pretty high ch- billing too in the opening credits. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it and it made me chuckle. Like, oh, Jennifer Garner's here and she's doing nothing. How fun! Oh, yeah, well, I that got- was one that hit different. I was more. I'm aware of Jennifer Garner now. Definitely after doing uh, the I podcast, had a good so ch- chuckle at the original Buffy being in this movie too. Um, yeah, that was a surprise. <laughs> and they call her by the actress's name, and she's wearing her outfit from Buffy, basically like the green singlet and all of that. <laughs> yeah. I had a good chuckle at that. Uh, it, that hit differently because I hadn't seen the Buffy movie until more recent times, and so I had a I had a good laugh. And I was like, "Oh, look, here she is. She's being in the movie, and she's like the <laughs> you know here. She's here." Um, there were some character actors I got a good laugh at, like for instance, um, what was the name of the cult leader? Zoltan. Zoltan, yeah. He was in Spider-Man 2, the Sam Raimi one. He's in the famous elevator scene in which Spider-Man's in the elevator, and he's like, nice outfit. He's like, yeah, you know, it itches in some places, you know, all of that. Okay, (laughs) that's that guy. I had a fucking big belly laugh at that. I'm like, hey, it's that guy. (laughs) And I looked up that actor, and he's not anyone in particular, but in Spider-Man it always felt like this is a specific cameo. Like, you should know who this is. Mm. I never did. And then I see him in this. I'm like, hey, it's that guy from Spider-Man. Then I look him up and he's just like an actor. He's no one in specific terms that I think is of note, but he's just a guy. Um, (laughs) Yeah, Spider-Man should have done the Zoltan sign. Yes, yes, yes. Just to spell it out for everyone. His outfit should have been Zoltan's outfit. (laughs) And then Sean William Scott comes in and pops it. Mm, Yeah. Anything coming to mind for you? Uh, well, definitely, yeah, Jennifer Garner and the opening credits were two major ones. Uh, I actually did quite like at the end of the film when, when, because when, when the opening credits happened and we saw like the ostriches and the, the Captain Stew thing, I was like, oh, they're just kind of showing like random things to be funny, but I, I'd forgotten about the ostriches and the, the, the mascot. So that, that was a neat little thing. Yeah. What was your big laugh in this movie? Um, yeah, big laugh. What was my big laugh? It, it was it was mostly moderate laughs for me, but it was like you know kind of familiar territory for me, and uh, just you know realizing that the world that they live in, uh, you know, ha- has has that craziness to it. Um, so I, I guess yeah, just me thinking that like oh maybe maybe this film does have you know a bit more merit to it than uh, than I might have thought, where this was just like a childhood movie for me. Um, that I, you know, essentially obsessed over. Um, I think with, with me, I haven't been as critically minded, you know, for as long in my life when it comes to movies. So I remember when I did start to become a bit more critically minded, um, I would look up reviews for films that I really liked, you know, whether it was, you know, online or from famous reviewers. And I would always be a bit shocked when like films that I really enjoyed like this would have such low ratings because it would just say to me like, um, you know, like, oh, do, do they not like have the same tastes as me? Can I really rely on, you know, so many things that I like having low reviews? Um, so, and, and you know, now that I'm a bit older, I guess one thing that did hit was like, no, no, I see that this film does have, you know, it, it has its audience. People will enjoy it and you can, you know, look beyond, you know, deep criticisms of these films and still, you know, find audiences. I think, you know, we, we doing Unappreciated Masterpieces really highlighted that, but seeing something a lot more familiar to me go through that kind of mental process, you know, was, you know, something nice for me and also a little bit funny. Yeah. Uh, I'm thinking of what my big laugh was in the movie. I mean, there are things I laughed at, but not with in the movie, for sure. But the things I laughed with, I think I had a good chuckle at... There was, like, a nice little visual gag in which, um... When the guys that they stole the outfits from come back into the room, and they're, like, in their underpants or naked or whatever, one was holding the fire extinguisher above their junk... And I had a good chuckle at the fact that one of them had nipple rings. Uh, uh, that, I don't know. It was just a touch that I went, okay, okay, you got me there, movie. Um, I did like Andy Dick in the movie. I had a good chuckle at his scenes in the cage and him just talking about like being a model and mm. all of his weird tangents and I had a good laugh at um, when he was like, pass it to me, pass it to me, I know the answer. And they're like, oh, we'll pass it to him. And he's like, you can't pass it to him. <laughs> and then when they give the correct answer, it's like, my answer is going to be brown. 
<laughs> fucking idiot. <laughs> yeah, that was a good one. So I had a good uh, a good laugh at that. I um I shamelessly had a surprised chuckle at the scene in the strip club in which all the strippers wet their tops because I didn't remember this movie. I remember this movie being horny, but I didn't remember mm-hmm. the movie being um, that explicit in its horniness. And while watching it again, I did feel like there was a tame quality to it. Like, I felt like they aren't going to show titties. And they didn't for the most part. For the, but there were some moments that like that in which they did verge on the openness of being hor- uh, like a horndog comedy. And, I, and it made me wonder, do you think that this movie was supposed to be like a real like R-rated Cheech and Chong type of out loud like comedy film and it was edited down like something like old dogs was or do you think that was just them like kind of like pushing the envelope because bill and ted for instance never feels like it was supposed to be like an r-rated comedy it always felt like it was supposed to be well this it always it felt like to me while watching this this is supposed to be like a you know an adult adult comedy but they've like whittled it down in some ways no i think you saying pushing the envelope uh describes it well like obviously towards the end you know you got like a lot of close-up of cleavages and and you know the breasts growing at the end um but i think back to that strip club scene where it's like oh uh chester you also have a surprise and all the girls are there and then they wet their tops and then in his next scene with them he is dancing front and center not even looking at them so that's just telling me like you know it's not as much a sexual thing for him there Mm. so clearly the film is a bit more comedic minded or you know as funny as in the movie is to get laid by their girlfriends yes yeah that's that's like a character thing but it's not like it's 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 not like drive to do all the stuff Yes, but as as an yeah, but what I'm saying is, as an audience member, I'm not getting turned on by the idea of like, yeah, these two are getting laid. Well, no, 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 it's not the idea about getting turned on necessarily as an audience, but there is a thing where you watch these movies, and it's nice if they have an open sexuality within the movie and not feeling like they're they're restricting it because they have to get to a PG thirteen rating or something. And I'm curious if at any point this movie was supposed to be. An, a full-on adult comedy, and it's had the teeth pulled from it, whether in the script writing process or within the editing process. That's what I mean. I'm not saying like I need this movie to be horny so I could be horny, but I'm I'm saying like the movie, some movies like this, like the Hangover movies, for instance, or like Cheech and Chong movies, or even like some Steve Martin comedies, or or so on and so forth, or or like uh, Animal House, or Porky's, or any of those, or Revenge of the Nerds, and all that. They have an open sexuality that's present in the movie, and I was just curious to know if you thought at any point while watching this, if this was one of those movies like like Old Dogs, let's not forget Old Dogs was supposed to be an R-rated comedy that got edited down to be a family-friendly movie. And I actually I, had forgotten that. <laughs> yeah, and I will never forget that. And when I was watching this, I did feel like, not necessarily that they edited it out, but I felt like in the script writing phase, they had decided to change this to be a little bit softer. Because their main driver's characters is sex is to fuck, is to that. And that inherent drive of a character, to me, would um, denote in a film an open horniness in the world as well. But it feels like they're the... (laughs) They're the only, like, character... Like, they're the only things in the movie that are, like, sexual in any way. The rest of it just happens to be. But, like, not really. Like... I could not get over, they kept saying, the big-breasted women, and they were like the flattest-chested women I've seen in the fucking movie. <laughs> like, Jennifer Garner had bigger tits than those women. I couldn't get over that. You know, like, I couldn't get over that. So when there was that moment where the strippers wet their tops and I saw nipples, it gave me a genuine shock laughter because I didn't actually expect the movie to do that. And it never did that again. You had some poking nipples because of the tops but that was just the 2000s i mean you watch an episode of friends and it's like that but like i was i was wondering what this movie would have been like if it was an r-rated comedy Mm -hmm. and i wonder if it would have been better or not 
What do you think? Because obviously you're thinking about this from I grew up with this movie, but what do you think about this notion? Like, do you think that this is a movie that at one stage was aiming to be that and was whittled down, and or do you think it may have worked better if it had no restrict if it didn't have these restrictions? Um, I I I do think that the. The, 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 the phrasing of this question is kind of uh, muddling up my answer. Um, I I think that um, f- for me, the comedy does feel front and center. And you know, cor- correct me if I'm not answering the question properly because I'm I'm a bit muddled here. Um, I think that the comedy is front and center, and the sexuality is for me, used to enhance that comedy. In terms of if it was going to be a, you know, more sexually focused thing throughout, um, I feel like that would get in the way of what this film is doing with, you know, making its characters dumb, making so many characters silly, uh, mm. things like that. So if it was at any point meant to be more sexual, then, you know, sure, maybe it was. Maybe it was cut down. Um but in terms of whether, you know, the, that would have been used to enhance the comedy or not, you know, I, I can't say. I feel like if it was a bit more sexual, the film would play out, you know, differently. Because it's not like yeah. every scene, uh, you know, has elements of horniness to it. No, but I do think that the maturity and the adult nature of this movie was removed. Because they're stoners, yet we barely ever see them smoke pot, mm-hmm. for instance. Yeah. That's and, one thing I've always remembered, yeah. And that was annoying. That felt like we we don't want to get that restriction in the rating. We can imply it, we can kind of wink at it, but we're not actually f- going to do it. The dog will, but we won't. And and like that's what I mean. Like this felt like this was supposed to be edgier than what it was. Like showing them smoking pot, you know, having the characters whose main goal in the movie is to get laid, and one of the final gags is they're rewarded with their girlfriends getting bigger tits. To me, that that like that in itself, like I said, I feel like this movie was aiming to be far more mature in its content, and it watered it down with just gags about like you know sillier things. Like again, the big-breasted alien women with the smallest tits out of the female cast drove me up the fucking wall because it's like the joke doesn't even work. The joke doesn't even work. On a visual level, they should have got someone like a Pamela Anderson type, but they didn't. It doesn't even fucking work. Yeah, it almost feels it almost feels like that that's being described as like foreshadowing to the um you know the reveal at the end, like what they really are. But mm-hmm. it doesn't make sense that the characters themselves would foreshadow that. As, not mm-hmm. not not them, but like the other characters who call them big breasted. And like there were gags, like for instance, when when the when those women went to the. I can't even remember why this happened, but when they went to where all the blind children were. Yeah, where the twins worked. And and the the kid felt their face and then felt their tits. It's more like more humor like that is what I was expecting in a world in which the main two characters motivation is not just to find their car to but be able to have sex for the first time with their girlfriends. I don't know. I got frustrated because I felt like I was watching a project that was artistically compromised to fit a rating. And Mm -hmm. the fact that this is written by someone who wrote that 70s show, and that 70s show was more, like, edgy and mature and sexual and adult. Like, they didn't show them smoking pot either in that, but they did it in a way where I got the point and I didn't feel like they were pussing out on it. And here, I just felt like someone was worried about getting a rating that would limit the amount of audience to see this. Yeah, and- definitely, growing up, this was definitely the first time I'd ever heard the word stoner from. Mm-hmm. And, you know, having watched the film so many times and heard that word so much, I just imagined that it's like, oh, it's just like their nickname. It's like, oh, those two guys, they're the stoners. It's it's their duo name. So later down the line, when I learned, like, oh, stoner, no, that means people that, like, you know, smoke weed so much, uh-huh. that, you know, becomes their thing. It was like, oh, okay, well, 
I guess I could kind of see that, but yeah, I always just thought it was like, oh, this is a two dumb guys kind of film. My introduction to the word stoner was in The Simpsons when uh, The Simpsons were leaving a um, a store that was selling pots and pans, and it was called Stoner's Pot Palace. And <laughs> and I think it was Homer. I can't. Oh no, no, a random a random character walked out and said like, no, it was Otto. Otto. I was about to say walked out and Otto. said blatant false advertisement. <laughs> That's one of my favorite gags. And The Simpsons, blatant false advertisement. Um, another thing that I did enjoy here in this movie was, um, it, I did. It's not like I fully enjoyed it, but I did love the carefree, anarchic sense of not giving a shit about the plot. I am a fan of vignette type movies. We go to the next set piece. We go to the next wacky character, and there were some memorable wacky characters. Like I, for instance, liked the woman who worked at the um. What was what's the word I'm using for the where they, the impound? The impound. Thank you. I enjoyed her. She was very good. I've seen her in a few other movies over the years, and she's always been very reliable. And I also enjoyed the uh, the 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 Asian guy as well in the famous back tattoo scene. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed him very much. There were like lots of little wacky characters I did enjoy. I also enjoyed um, Jerry O'Connell's brother. Um, you know, as the bully yeah. guy. And was apparently, it... Apparently... I was just going to say, apparently he was in Cruel Intentions. Yeah? Oh, no, no. Oh, no. I remember that, too. I do actually kind of remember that. But was it distracting to you? Did you did you notice that he was... Like, he looked like the guy from Kangaroo Jack, but, like, a fit version of that? Like, a bodybuilder version of that? I, I only noticed it after the fact. I walked in and went, that guy looks like Jerry O'Connell. Must be his brother, but like a beefier version because he looks the exact same, but beefy. Yeah, beefy little bro. I liked his character a lot. Like, I liked how um, he approached it. But then here's the thing, though, Bartek. Did they miscast the roles of our two main guys? Because in the script, every character treats it like these are two dorks nerds, dweebs, losers, yet these are the two most handsome people that you could have hired. <laughs> and yet they all, every line of dialogue is like, look at these uggos, look at these dorks, these losers. I'm like, they're fucking handsome. What are you talking about? Yeah, maybe maybe the film doesn't know what a stoner is and they just like think it's a catch-all term for a person you don't like. I, I keep mentioning it, but I know you haven't seen any of their movies, but Cheech and Chong, that's who they wanted. Clearly, like, this is what they wanted. Like, Cheech and Chong are these ugly, gross stoner dudes who still somehow manage to get ladies because of their charm and hijinks. But anyone around them would acknowledge that they're ugly, gross men and losers and dweebs. In this, they hire two handsome motherfuckers and they keep treating it like they're Cheech and Chong and I just couldn't buy it for a fucking moment. (laughs) Every single moment, they're treating it like, oh, these girls are out of their league. Out of their league? Did you see the back tattoo scene? Did you see how fucking ripped they were? <laughs> they keep treating it like, how did these guys get ladies? What the fuck are you talking about? How do these guys get ladies? That's, again, what I mean. It feels like there was a script that existed, and there's just all these components that aren't lining up. Yeah, when I, when I said earlier that... um. You know, thing, things being crazy, things not lining up were, was something that I kind of enjoyed because it added to the world. It, it is a it is a dangerous thing to say you like because mm-hmm. you know it's it sounds like you're avoiding the criticisms that this is you know poorly written or something like that. <laughs> yeah, and cheap as shit. Mm. Like, look, I've, I like I said, I like Ashton Kutcher. I like Sh- uh, Sean William Scott. I didn't like them in this movie. Uh, you know. Ashton Kutcher is playing a less interesting Kelso. In fact, I think he's a he plays a better stoner as Kelso than he does in this. Mm. Am I wrong? No, you're you... not wrong. And why is that? This is after he's played Kelso. This is a movie where he is nothing but a stoner. Yet in that '70s show, he plays a more convincing stoner. He doesn't have enough friends to make a circle. Yeah, maybe. I guess that's it. But like, I. I like I like these two actors, but I, again, I think it's because the script was telling me blatantly that they're miscast. 
Like, they keep making it like these are two losers that are ugly that no one wants around. I'm like, what are you talking about? These are two charming fucking guys. See, in that 70s show, Kelso was fairly popular. People liked hanging out with Kelso. He was dumb as a brick, but he was handsome, and he was funny. They didn't treat him like he was Fez or Hyde in that show, where Fez and Hyde were the outsiders and the weirdos that people didn't like interacting with as much. Mm-hmm. Kelso was played with what he was, which is, here's the handsome stoner guy who's a dumbass, but hey, people don't mind him because he's good for a laugh. And this, that's what they needed. They needed, it's weird that the people who wrote, the person who wrote this wrote that 70s show, and they wrote this obviously for Kelso, like, uh, for him in mind, but it's like they wanted him not to be Kelso. They wanted him not to be exactly like Kelso, so they changed it up enough, but it's, like, distracting to me. It was very distracting to me. And I'm getting very passionate because I I sound like a fucking idiot in my brain because this movie doesn't care. Like, that's its defense is, oh, it's not taking itself seriously. It's a light, entertaining time. Look at it, right? I mean, did you see the ending where, where the dad looks up at the woman's skirt and says, oh, I would like to get on that ride too, son? Like, you shouldn't be critiquing this this hardly. I, I, know, I know that. I feel like a fucking idiot. But at the same time, there are movies exactly like this that we've watched and reviewed on this show that tried and did much better than, than this, that also had that carefree approach. We keep saying it. Bubble Boy. We keep saying it. Kung Pao. Those two movies have more artistic strength to them, and yet they also have that carefree, relaxed attitude. I don't know, I think there was less craftsmanship within this, and it felt cobbled together, and it just felt lazy. No, yeah, the, the, those two films, the main character slash main characters were very defined. They had a much clearer arc, whereas um, this one, it's more, yeah, it feels more like, you know, established characters who are just trying to work out what happened the night before and getting into all sorts of hijinks. Did The Hangover rip this off? Um, I mean, it's not a new concept, but like, you know, where you have these guys who have blacked out from partying so hard and they're piecing together what they did the night before. And it's like these ludicrous series of events. I don't know. I'd have to, I'd have to rewatch The Hangover. I mean, this didn't have Mike Tyson in it as himself. Admit. No, we had, we had Fabio. Yeah. yeah okay. You, you, can you fucking talk about that scene for a moment and what it fucking le- like, okay. You said at the end of last episode, have we had a movie with Fabio in it before? And I was like, yeah, bubble boy. Who's Fabio? Why? What's he about? What does he mean to you? What, what, what like, cause this movie doesn't tell you what Fabio is. It's just like, there mm. he is. So tell me who is Fabio and what he is to you. Honestly, I don't really know who he is either. <laughs> But you, 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 you on this podcast last week in our Bubble Boy episode, you treated like, it's Fabio. Like, we should all, like, there's this attitude of, yeah, Fabio. He has the name, the hair, the looks, Fabio. But do you even, like, what does that mean? Yeah, I, I don't really know who he is either other than beyond that. So I was just like, oh, that's a guy people know for some reason and he's in this. So is that scene good? Because that scene rely, like, that scene treats it like, hey, look, Fabio, he's himself. They credit him as himself. At least in Bubble Boy, he was a character. Hmm. Yeah, that, that was more like cameo here. I, I legitimately thought that he was going to be the cult leader in this. And I was like, ah, he's doing his Bubble Boy thing again. <laughs> I legitimately was like, oh, he's going to be the cult leader in this, right? And then he wasn't, and I was very disappointed. But, like, that scene, you brought it up last week, like, Fabio. So that was an important scene enough to leap out and save verbatim. Like, if you did not mention it last week, I would probably not have mentioned it in this discussion because it was such a nothing scene. And, like, okay, it I'd... relies <laughs> on the context of you should kind of care who Fabio is. And I don't. Like, I do know who Fabio is. I could actually tell you, but I don't give a shit about him in this movie. <laughs> you've, 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 uh, you've overthought my, my speaking last week. I was literally just pointing out an actor that we've had before that was in this film. We've had many other actors that have been in this film too, but it was just weird. Like, Fabio's scene in this... I mean, I'll tell you my least favorite scene. I don't even know. Could you explain the context of this? When the movie stops for, like, two minutes to become a music video... Could you explain that scene? No, I can't. What was that? And tell me, is that good or bad? 
No, I, I, I think that was bad. Uh, because the lead up to that scene was, um, they, they'd realized, scene. yeah, they'd realized what they bought and then it cuts to a party. And then after the party's over, they're in a nice car. So it's like, oh, they bought a nice car, but the party was just there. It's what, never made sense to me. What was that? I don't know. I didn't understand. I, like, I lost it. I was like, that's where the movie lost me. I was giving it my all. And then that scene happened, and I just went, fuck this. I can't fucking give this movie a shot. <laughs> that was there. I'll tell you why that was there. Do you, do you ever guess before I say? Do you ever guess uh, why that scene was inserted into the film? Was it to bump the film up to 81 minutes? No. Okay, not no, padding. No, no, no. Uh, it was... That song needed promotion. That mm-hmm. song needed to be boosted up in the charts. That song needed to be sold because that song probably, its music distribution is probably related to the film studio. So mm-hmm. let's put a music video in the movie. And I, I don't know, but I'm sure there's probably a music video for this song that features the clips from this movie. Yeah, probably. That is <laughs> that why it's there. Right. It's hmm. so blatantly just there to sell the song. And it was shameless and disgusting, and it made me loathe the film. And and it interrupted a establishing and then revelation. And it was the capper in a weird way to what is the most icon one of the most iconic joke scenes in the movie, the back tattoo scene. That's the capper to it. Hmm. Just hard cut to that. I can't, I can't, that was ins- There was also another gag I didn't get, almost didn't get, which is when they're in the ostrich farm and they've jumped in the car and they're like, the ostriches all run away and they're like, ah, oh, something's safe. And then like a, a thing smashes through the roof of their car and they start screaming and and we see it from like um behind, like, you know, we're seeing it from the front of the car looking in and then we mm-hmm. get a cutaway shot to show us the other angle that it's an ostrich's head screaming. And I legitimately was like, that was so poorly executed because there was so much time in which I saw the back of the ostrich's head, but I didn't recognize what it was supposed to be. I had the same thing, yeah. And thus the joke failed. <laughs> yeah, that, that's On actually a really good just a pure visual point, level, yeah. they fucked it up. Yeah, when they had the 180 shot from the other angle, it made more sense, but mm. yeah, that, that that was a fail. Oh, please, please throw some more positives in the air, because I haven't even gotten into the worst aspects of the movie, like the <laughs> really fucking disgusting aspects of the movie. Oh god, well, well, let's go with that then. Are you sure? Let's do it. I mean, this movie's transphobic as fuck. I, you know me, I don't get on this soapbox very often, I don't, but this movie was fucking disgraceful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Fucking disgraceful. This has aged like fucking milk. Like, I don't even know why that was in the movie. Like, like, what? why did it have to be that? Like, like, the whole gag was, it's a dude with a dick. Laugh. And laugh at them retching and being disgusted at the fact that there's a trans woman. And and also, the trans woman is like this fucking, like, manipulative, deceitful liar. Great job, guys. Like, that was one of those ones where... And also, like, I immediately knew the gag as soon as I heard the voice before we saw the actor. I was like, oh, that's a man's voice. Or it's, like, modulated to be, like, a manly voice. Okay. And then, oh, it's a it's a woman. Oh, it's going to be a trans woman. Okay, can we get there? And then we got there, and it was, like, <laughs> the classic lift up the skirt, and there's, like, a dong outline in the underpants and then Ashton Kutcher starts like rubbing the grime off of his tongue because he's like I kissed a dude even though later he'll happily kiss Sean William Scott mm. I don't know man that, that that running gag throughout the movie really fucking was a detriment to this I mean that's you know in terms of like that same question I asked that you struggled with of, as a grown-up now watching it, what was something you appreciated? This is the flip of, as a grown-up now, what's something that was bad about the movie? That's definitely one. As a grown person now in 2021, 
That did not age well. That yeah, did not age well. That that's one aspect that it's like okay, well yeah, this this happened. Yeah, that and just all the women. Every single female character is there just to be, again, sex objects in a movie that's surprisingly sexless. It just drives me up the wall. I'm like, mm. okay, if you're going to objectify the women in this movie and make it that they don't actually have characters and they're just there to be objectified, like, I would obviously would like you not to do that. And if you, you know, but if you're, if you are, fucking do it. Like, you know, that's the thing. If you're going to fucking be gross and disgusting and make all your female characters lame and they're just to be ogled at and sex objects or desired sex objects fucking nail down the objectification like it's terrible for me to say that but like you know you know like if you're gonna fucking do it do it don't yeah, push if you have, out if you, if you have a purpose execute it you have a purpose like again austin powers for instance far hornier movies than this far hornier yet they don't have the need to show you the nipples but that movie's about an openly sexual character who a lot of his driving things is his sexuality, and those movies are very sexual. Yet they were still done in a way in which we as children could enjoy them. Mm-hmm. Here, mm, don't know, man. Don't know. That, that aspect, the trans aspect and the women aspect, I mean, and obviously all the gay panic that they had. I mean, come on. That's one of these things where it's like, ah, the 2000s. What a time to be alive. Yeah, 9-11 really changed everything. <laughs> no. <laughs> Are you saying it didn't change everything? For Roger Ebert, it made comedies detestable. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, this film, if it came out a year later, oh, boy. It would have gotten the Zoolander treatment. The Zoolander treatment. There's another fucking film, too. <laughs> there you go. Zoolander. Far hornier film, yet it didn't need to show the nipples, either. Mm-hmm. Jess, and it also had Andy Dick in a ridiculous outfit. Do you remember Andy Dick in Zoolander? Uh, you'd have to remind me. He was the masseuse. The, the ugly, fat, German masseuse with the monobrow who was having to handle Zoolander's moving dick. Like... That's the scene. I, I, there's nothing else I can explain that scene. That's the scene. Zoolander goes in to get a massage. He gets an erection, and the masseuse is trying to swat it, and it moves around underneath the sheet like it's like it's an animal. Okay, I remember that. Yeah, and that masseuse is Andy Dick in prosthetics. Mm-hmm. Dick um, swatting the dick. Dick swatting the dick. Dude, I don't know what else to say. I just, I just had a miserable time. I. It just felt so fucking long. I was really disappointed with Sean William Scott, who I thought was actively terrible in this. Actively bad. I, I, he had, like, I don't know. He was the least funny out of the two. Oh, I'm sorry I put you through it. You should be. Apologize to me now. That's why I was like, Bartek, you want to throw some more positives out there before I fucking roast this movie <laughs> some more and make you feel bad for recommending it? Because I know you love this. This is, like, your childhood thing. And, it, hey... I like this as a kid, too. I'm not going to pretend that this isn't something I have enjoyed in the past. It has been. It definitely has been. But I don't know. I've become those cynical reviewers where I've seen enough material where when I come back to this, I'm just like, this doesn't hold up. This doesn't stand to the test of times of my quality that I like. Like with uh, Small Soldiers. Like, you know, we, 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 we talked about Small Soldiers in a similar way, where it wasn't as vitriolic, but it was like, this doesn't hold up. I want to love this more than I do, because I loved it so much as a child, but it just isn't as good as it could be. And because I've seen so many things that do things like this better. And that's what I'm saying. Like, here, there's this, this movie, there's just so many other areas you can go. Like, mm-hmm. again, Bill and Ted. This wants to be Bill and Ted. This wants to be Cheech and Chong. This wants to be so many things, and it just never, never even glimpses being as witty or good as those are. Well, that's a shame. Um, yeah, so I guess just to summarize, I still had a good time with the film. It obviously does have problems, um, but I felt like, yeah, it is a film that I, I got enjoyment from, I got laughs from. Um, 
but a lot of that did come from you know questionable analysis you know there mm. there are a lot of poor things about the film um and obviously it, it, parts of it have aged badly but it's i guess it's all just dependent on if you can look past all that if you can just enjoy it um and like you said there were things you enjoyed um but yeah. there were some things you couldn't look over so <laughs> In terms of a recommendation, you know, based on my experience, I recommend it, but whether you'll enjoy it or not, you know, that's up to you. I appreciate that they had a script. Like, in the age of comedies where there are no scripts, I would rather watch this than Step Brothers. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's something too. Fuck me. I wish that this was anywhere close to being as fucking wild as Freddy Got Fingered. I was thinking about Freddy Got Fingered a lot while watching this, to the point in which when Andy Dick showed up, I said, is that Tom Green? (laughs) And then I realized, no, Tom wouldn't sink this low. He was too busy doing road (laughs) trip. (laughs) He was too busy doing road trip, the prequel to Euro trip. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) In which it has not the same characters, but it's a trip movie. Um, I don't recommend this. It just... Like I said, there's many problems, one of which I I have to keep nailing down. The pacing was just terrible for me. It just did not want to fucking end. It just kept fucking going. I was like, oh, God. I don't know why. The pacing just dragged for me. It wasn't even 90 minutes and it dragged so fucking hard. I wanted it to be over so many times. And I will, again, I don't know... Yeah, I walked in wanting to be like, yeah, boy, let's go back in time and have a wicked old journey. And I walked out being like, I've aged 100 years and my <laughs> blood is nothing but toxic. Like, I don't know why. This, this movie fucking got to me. But I won't say it's the worst thing that we've watched on this show. Um, definitely not. There's been some others. I mean, I still prefer this over Tango and Cash, for instance. Mm-hmm. Um, but... Hey, that's my hot take. Uh, so, it's my turn for a recommendation. Yep. And, um, boy, I was thinking really hard. I'm like, what do I recommend after this? You know, like, I've recommended, you know, some interesting things after your choices, just like off the cuff. And I'm like, I would recommend a comedy. I don't want to be dark again. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to recommend a Steve Martin comedy, Rick Moranis comedy. My Blue Heaven um, from the 90s mm-hmm. uh, in which Steve Martin is a gangster uh, who's in witness protection. And it's written by uh, Nora Ephron who did Bewitched, one of our favorite films on unappreciated masterpieces. Yeah, yeah, that was a good one. Um, obviously, she's also known for writing many other things when Harry Met Sally and Sleepless in Seattle, and all of these things. But I think it's Nora Ephron. I, I, so help me fucking God if I've got this wrong, and I'm going to kill myself. <laughs> but what's most important is the writer of this was the wife of the writer of Goodfellas. So take that into consideration. Sure. Uh, and is this film the uh, the light-hearted counterpart to Tyrannosaur from three weeks ago? Yeah, yeah, sure, sure, sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. Rick Moranis is Olivia Coleman. Steve Martin is the dog. No, um, as, as in, like, when you gave me the option of, like, a darker film or a light Oh, yes, one. this was the light or, 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 like This was the good ending, yeah. Right, <laughs> the good uh, ending. So, we'll be talking about My Blue Heaven next episode. Um, until then, you can find us on the social medias, Facebook and Twitter, Spit and Polish Presents, where we post the links to things and further discussion points and so on and so forth. Uh, you can rate and review us on whatever podcatcher you use to do so. It would be greatly appreciated. And you can email us at spitandpolished at gmail.com. Uh, that's about it. Uh, we didn't even mention, I think we should end on this. Mm-hmm. How did you feel the first time and how did you feel this time when they when, when they revealed where the car was? <laughs> um. My big surprise was that in the initial timeline, we actually didn't find out where the car ended up. Mm. Yes. That that was something I'd never considered before. Yeah, I guess so. Because I always misremembered it. I always thought, oh, and then joke was at the end, the car was actually across the street the whole time, but they didn't bother to look hard enough. 
That's like my my vague recollection has been all these years. Like that was the joke. Mm. Um, but then the joke was like, no, the aliens returned it and whatever. I don't even know where. Yeah, that's the thing. Where was the car? I don't know. Yeah, no, it was stolen from Pierre, the French guy, and then by who? Yeah, we don't know. Exactly. In, in that in that initial timeline or before the reset or whatever, we actually didn't find out what <sighs> happened. I'm sure to it. they'll explain it in the sequel. Seriously, dude, Ooh. where's my car? Mm, foreshadowing. Foreshadowing, maybe. Oh man, could you imagine the uh, dude wears my car cinematic universe in which each character in this movie had the individual film? <laughs> oh, I'm also surprised you didn't say who your favorite character was, which I'm gonna guess was uh their boss from the pizza place that rang as a Bartek character. <laughs> Mr. Um, pizza Coney or whatever his name was, and he was like a Rastafarian <laughs> black guy. Um, favorite character? I, I don't know who my favorite character is. I think it's that guy. That Rang is a Bartek character. I did like at the end when he uh, when he described the continuum transfunction as someone that didn't understand. It's like he's paying attention, guys. Come on, <laughs> he's a responsible working man. <laughs> 